0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This episode is sponsored by Big Bull Productions and their feature film, Juvenile Delinquents. Hello and welcome back to Film Pro Productivity and Success, the podcast that helps film professionals and other creative people to live a more focused, effective, and happy life. My name is Carter Ferguson and this is episode 67, Scams, Lies and Double Dealing, Part 1. So here we are at the final episodes of season 4 and today I'll be delving into another of my tell-it-like-it-is style topics as I'm going to be talking about creative scams that's scams that are aimed not at the general public but specifically at those working in the creative industries and i've got about 15 or 16 pages of notes on these scams so i have decided to split it over two shows In last week's show, I chatted with a very good friend of mine, marketing and social media expert Gillian Dick of the go-to agency in Glasgow about marketing, or more specifically personal branding, which I I didn't know very much about at all, and now I do, and how to go about doing that. And in the past, I've got to be honest, marketing and promotion always felt to me somehow unimportant in the world of arts and theatre. And film and, and and something that I just really had no interest in or no passion for. But as time has gone on, I've begun to realize that if we can't get our product out there, whether it be a short film, a podcast, a piece of art, even more importantly, our own selves, which is personal branding, into the marketplace and into the minds of the people who will buy from us or employ us or consume our free content even then we are doing ourselves a great disservice jillian gives an absolute mass of incredible advice on this topic and if you want to do yourself a favor then you really must go back and check it out it's split over two episodes about an hour and a half worth of content and it's absolutely gold dust Today though, as I said before, I am going to shine a light on a few of the scams that I have either fallen into myself, fallen for effectively, or that others have told me about in order that you can have a heightened awareness of them and avoid the same sort of thing in future. Now, some of these scams target specifically actors, some of them target filmmakers, some of them target people who are just nice people. But I would say listen to the whole thing because something that is currently used to target, say, an actor might adapt and, and reappear in your own industry if you're working in theatre or film or any other area of the arts. These things tend to change and adapt and target new, I was going to call them audiences, but new victims, I think is the is the correct terminology here, once they've been sussed out in one area. So a lot of stuff within this episode that you might not think is relevant to you specifically, I would suggest that you listen to the whole thing, the whole both episodes, in fact. It was the heart of any scam or fiddle. Keep the punter uncertain, or if he is certain, make him certain of the wrong thing. Terry Pratchett, I was once invited to collaborate on a project By a colleague and a friend that I'd worked with many, many times before. And in those previous projects, either I'd set them up and invited them on board or vice versa. And as things went on with the projects, we had shared the costs for them really entirely from our own pockets. They were, in effect, zero-budget creative projects made for a bit of fun when we had quiet periods in our businesses, but we took them very seriously, did our best to make them high quality, and they were generally very well received. And I want to clarify here that I'm not talking about the associate that I made the short films Dead End, Dead Drop and Dead Ringer with which were all very successful but I am talking about someone who at that time I regarded as a friend. If you want to know who I am actually talking about then maybe I'll tell you in private somewhere down the line but like all of the other stories that I'm going to relate in these episodes I am not going to publicly name names. If I was to go down that road it would really only lead to trouble and I don't want to poke the sleeping bear as they say or bears as I proceed with this show. I don't want to cause bother for myself or for the other people who have contributed their stories to this show so I'm not going to be naming any names within it okay. So I'd worked with this person many times before, and it was always under the same premise that we put more or less the same amount of money into it, never an awful lot, and we would give our time and our creative uh, juices, whatever, uh, for free, working as joint project co-producers. This particular project was a little bit different from others in that we had gotten a few thousand in backing, two thousand from an angel-style creative partner, a brilliant production company we both worked with, and we both knew very well. But unfortunately, what I didn't realise until after we'd completed shooting, and I personally was considerably in the hole to the tune of nearly one and a half thousand of my own money, never mind the massive amount of time and creative energy I had put into it, but I didn't realize that they had also received at some stage a further 2000 pound from a second backer in exchange for a producer title. Now I was co-producer on this, so having another producer appear from nowhere with no <laughs> consultation, no information was slightly alarming to me and I found it out entirely by accident by because the person I was working with accidentally let it slip. So they were actually receiving as I, rem- as I remember it anyway, four and a half thousand for us to do this project, which we would normally have had little or no budget for. And that sounds fantastic, yeah? Well, it wasn't for me. Already I had found myself sidelined in communications with the first backer, and it was that sidelining that made me begin to think that I'd gotten myself into a bit of a problematic situation. So I emailed the first backer somewhere along the way and asked them to include me in the comms as I was coordinating the project and co-producing, you know, the original co-producer of the actual thing. But this just infuriated my fellow collaborator. Now please note, as I say again, I'd worked for this person many times before and I didn't actually take that much action as, as this was going along, as I thought them to be fair, but also to have a bit of a volatile personality if i'm honest and i kind of at this point was just confused as to what was going on this this was not clear to me where this was heading um i just didn't have enough information to follow what i was getting into or what i'd already gotten myself into and what what i can say looking back is that controlling the narrative and the flow of direct information was very important in this kind of bait and switch scheme that I found myself in. So, having me circumvent communications was clearly not going to be allowed to happen. And I say clearly now, but at the time I was really mostly just baffled and didn't have a clue where, what was going on. I was on the back foot all the time that's where they wanted me to be now shutting collaborators out of communications is a manipulation technique which I talk about in my bad collaborations episode collabo haters as I call them so go back and have a listen to that show if you want to know more about all that that is a common problem and effectively that heads well and truly into scam area like I'm talking about here it's episode 20 I believe so anyway there I was with £1,500 of my own money in a project co produced with this supposed friend, expecting, not undeservedly expecting, to see some or perhaps all of it back from the funds that had been raised to put the thing together. The trouble is, and this is why you must have a collaboration agreement, even if you've never had one before and you've worked with them several times like I did, but the trouble I had in this situation is that they kept the whole four and a half thousand for themselves yes using it to fund the film but also for their own upkeep camera kit and stuff that was getting bought that they kept and I never saw a penny of my money back so that project had in effect about six thousand going into it I never saw any of my money returned I was left with nothing after a month and a half of my life spent on this project, probably a little bit more, I realised that I had been had and that I had to get out of it. And as I'd put all of the agreements in their name, I also realised I didn't have a leg to stand on. So they got this project made by paying no one and yet they received what was in effect a fee for their involvement and walked away with full ownership over it. And this broke the cardinal sin for me of low-budget filmmaking either everyone gets paid or no one does and i'll talk more about doing stuff for no pay a little bit later on given so much to a project with no expectation of ownership then being disrespected used and abused and believe me i was abused in this one as well i'm not going into in detail but the whole thing left me feeling right royally shafted As I say there's more to this story which made me walk away before completion but I think that the details of the financial skullduggery that I experienced may be enough to make this lesson hit home. My question is though was I scammed here or just tricked? I certainly feel like I was I went into it without asking the questions I usually would because I already knew and trusted the person I was working with but does that mean that this is partly my own fault? I think that it probably does, to be honest. I could have been more on it. I should have been more on it. I think politeness largely held me back from asking questions, trying to avoid confrontations, meant that I stayed there longer than I should have. And as I'd always dealt with the financials on all of the previous projects, and on this particular one, I was getting shut out of them. I really should have seen this coming. And I didn't. The lesson or the proverb, if you prefer, that you can take from that experience that I had is as follows. Or one of the lessons is as follows. Never trust anyone who cuts you out of communications as you are either getting talked about or lied to or almost certainly both. And as I think about it, there's another lesson in there about politeness, which is one of my... Key values or core values, politeness and respect. And it's if you act like a doormat, people will walk all over you. I think you can be polite and still be strong. You can still take control of things and use that higher level thinking. Uh, I've always wanted to do an episode called No More Mr. Nice Guy where I talk about politeness, and maybe I still will in future. I think we can be polite and respectful. But still be strong and stand up for our own beliefs. And if I had been stronger, I would have seen this coming sooner. And maybe the whole thing would have resolved without me feeling scammed, but with me still involved. That said, that said, every single day of my life, I thank God I am not working with that person anymore because they were so difficult to work with, effectively. And my life since have stopped working with them. It's just so much better. So I don't know what else I added there, but I just thought I'd throw it in. We can all be conned, but at what time do we realise that we are being conned, and to what point do we allow ourselves to be conned? Guy Ritchie, unquote. Now, as I approached this episode, I wasn't really sure if I have just been a total chump whose goodwill has allowed me to be scammed more often than most over the years, or if it has happened just as much to other people. And I wondered if others out there maybe don't know or don't believe that they've been scammed, or perhaps just don't want to talk about it, or indeed if they've never actually been scammed and I've just been very unlucky. During my research, I reached out on social media for other people's experiences to add to what I've been through, and it certainly seems that I am not the only one. I didn't get a massive amount of responses, but I had enough to help this show along a little bit. So I know now that I am not the only person to be drawn in by a deceitful and unstable personality. In fact, I was working on a film the other day and I bumped into a fight directing associate of mine, David Goodall, and he explained that he was scammed out of thousands when he was hired onto a feature film a number of years back. And it was no small involvement either. He directed fights on it and he also composed the music for it and is still to see any payment. And the way he tells it, he also didn't realise until it was too late that he was dealing with someone who was genuinely unhinged. Sometimes people who present projects are so deluded that they actually believe their own lies and sometimes they are just liars who never intended to pay out in the first place or perhaps just believed their own hype so much that they genuinely thought their projects were going to do well and they would be able to find the money to pay the people they've invited on board from the money their projects would pull together. I'm not sure what happened in David's instance but he was right royally shafted as well. And it's hard to give clear definitions to some of the scams that I've come across here as there's really not a lot of information about them. But I described my own example there as a form of bait and switch style scam and I got baited into committing to a film project but as it proceeded I realised that I'd been misled and ended up with nothing. As I've said it a few times now and ended up with nothing. A lot of these scams use disinformation That is incorrect or misleading information to cheat you out of your time, your creative energy and or your money. And so as it's quite broad and likely the most common sort of deception that you might face, certainly it was part of the bait and switch scam that I found myself embroiled in as well. Now, a small example of a scam designed to mislead you was highlighted for me by a scotland-based makeup artist that gave up her time to a photographer in a tfp or time for prints agreement now giving up your time to get high quality content for your own use your own showreel or whatever is not uncommon in itself and is definitely not a scam in itself but not receiving any prints of the work that you have done or only receiving a single photograph which was what happened in this instance definitely is misleading and I would go as far as to say fraudulent you know giving up your whole day to do makeup for a series of models that are photographed and to receive a single print at the end of a day's work does that sound fair to you I'm sure that makeup artist didn't go into it with that understanding if you enter into an agreement to take part in a time for prints photo shoot, then you absolutely have to have the specifics of the deal in place before you do it. If you expect prints, digital or otherwise, for your involvement, then you need to agree first how many, how they will be delivered, and perhaps most importantly, when you will receive them. With this information, you can go into the deal with your eyes open. Now that's the sort of scam that might catch a model or a makeup artist or a hairstylist out but it's exactly the same for actors and crew that give up their time to take part in short films or even feature films. The lines with these however can be less clear especially if you're dealing with people who are inexperienced on both sides of the agreement. And I'll very often help filmmakers myself for free and in turn I've had people come in several times to help me on my own projects for free. I know it's a bit of a joke to say for exposure as you can't pay your bills with exposure but at the same time I did have to start somewhere and for a time, a number of years, I worked on people's films and theatre shows for little or nothing sometimes. Just to get the experience. And that experience can't be undervalued. I know that many people listening might feel their temperature start to boil over this, but I believe that you should be willing, especially if you're just starting out, you should be willing to work on occasion for free. Not just for exposure, which is a joke, particularly if the film you do is absolute garbage, which many low budgets are, but because you will gain experience. As you do so. If you've got no experience on camera or behind camera the chances are that you're not going to be very good. I'm just being honest about this. I'm not saying that someone can't be naturally talented but it's rare. By gaining experience however you will get better and Jillian Dick raised this on the last show. Even in marketing she gave up time for free to learn more about the job to broaden her understanding, to get better and to make contacts who may, if they liked working with her, employ her on another project. She built her business on that and this happened for me too for years and years. i worked for not a lot or for nothing on people's projects for free and even now if a project appeals to me and I've got the spare time, I still help as many local filmmakers as I can. And here's the thing you might not have thought of. These small beginner filmmakers become bigger. Filmmakers become better. Gain positions of power. And they go, I remember Carter helped me on that short film. I want Carter back in. They might say it for another fight director. They might say it for a first AD. They might say it for the designer they worked with. And they bring their teams along with them. This is why you should be working on stuff for free. I'm not saying devalue your abilities. I'm saying think about it intelligently choose who you want to work with and see if you can help them it's very unlikely that the BBC is going to let you come on one of their projects for free but a small filmmaker who's done a few good projects chances are they're not going to have big budgets or any budgets at all to do their stuff and associating yourself with people at that can only do you good. I keep thinking of Gregory's Girl, one of my favourite films, uh, shot in 1980, released, released in 1981. If you look at the people who were the assistant directors in that, the assistant directors became producer on Outlander. Uh, another assistant director became head of, was it, STV drama, Scottish television's drama. These people, in small roles, became very important later. Use this intelligence, use the, your high-level thinking if you're just starting out, don't sit on a high horse and say I'm not doing work for free because I'm better than that because the thing is you'll still be sitting there in five years or ten years with no experience behind you. My point is that if you agree to work in a short film for little or nothing then that is okay. If you feel that you're above that and that it somehow devalues your skill set then just say no. But whatever you do don't agree to it then moan about it afterwards and and believe you me, that happens. That said, if you do agree to take part in a project on those terms, check first if you will be getting a copy of the film after it's all edited and complete, when you will receive that copy, and I'll add that if the film is never released, which sometimes happens, that you can at least get a copy of the footage that has been shot. Be warned though especially on low budget short films and features that it will take an absolute age to complete some of them. Do not go hassling the director or the producer or the DOP or the editor for footage two weeks after it's been shot or a month after it's been shot as it will take them a serious amount of time usually to cut it and even then it will often have to complete its time on a film festival circuit before you can use the footage. And while it's on that circuit, especially if it's a good film, remember that you can use the wins and the nominations to promote yourself. That is the the, the joke part of it, the exposure part of it. If something actually does work well and you're good in it, you genuinely will get exposure. That exposure will add value to the work that you do. So, into these things with your eyes open and all will be well you could maybe strike a deal to have one minute of non-plot related footage released to you whilst it's in competition if you want to get it faster i'd advise to be honest you to do that so talk to the filmmaker and agree on what you're getting it is the best way to do it i'll just add on the back of that though that you should never work on any film that isn't at least offering you food and your travel costs if they aren't offering you that then They simply are being lazy, cheap, and and go into the area of being disrespectful as well. And without respect on a film set for a cast and crew, everyone is going to be unhappy. Now, there is a travel cost scam on these things that I want to talk about. And that is basically when all is said and done that the filmmakers don't pay up on the owed expenses, the agreed travel costs, for example. It might be other costs as well. It might be costs for costume or whatever that you've supplied really depends on the situation but i'm talking specifically about travel costs as this is the most common one and this happened to me whilst i was acting with the rainbow theater company in glasgow about 20 years ago i am naming them because they did a runner They disappeared like that, (laughs) and I've never seen them since. They not only didn't pay us our expenses, the full cast and crew, but they also ran off with the receipts we'd handed in for them, so we couldn't even claim them against tax. And as an aside, they, as I say, ran off with the charity box office money too. We were contacted by the charity after the production who explained that not only did they not have any money, but that they've not asked that theatre company to do the show on their behalf either. This was maybe five weeks from start to finish in this scam. And there's a few lessons from it too. If you are an actor approached to get involved in any project, I'd say one, check who you are talking to, get a point of contact, get their number, get their email address. You can get an address as well, full address. Two, what is their previous work like? If it's crap that's a sign to dodge it right this is again this politeness stops you doing it this is a big lesson i learned as an actor i did a lot of short films because i wanted to get experience like i'm saying for free (laughs) and most of them i couldn't use a, a scrap of footage from some i didn't get footage at all from when i'm in my younger days but like if you're going to work with a filmmaker that you can clearly see from the previous work isn't any good then the chances are that you're not going to be able to use it anyway. So I would say, if you're going to do these projects and give up your time, find the best filmmakers you can possibly get to work with. Four, if you're giving your time for free, what are you getting out of it exactly? Are you getting footage? Are you getting stills? Are you going to get your travel costs? Also, five, when are you going to get this stuff? And six, when exactly will you receive your expenses? I'd expect to have them myself on the day or certainly within a couple of weeks of filming. Do you give them receipts, or is it a flat fee to cover costs? Now, that's kind of advice for actors there, but this is a two-way street. It's a two-way street, and if you are a filmmaker, you also need to be very, very wary of unscrupulous actors trying to take advantage of you. If an actor can't provide a filmmaker with a receipt for this 26 quid taxi they got... (laughs) apparently then it's perfectly reasonable situation not to pay them their travel it's a fair trade all they need to do is provide you with a receipt and then you give them the money for that receipt and i do know of a filmmaker who had an actor approach him at least a year possibly more than a year after the completion of the film and ask them for their travel money not only is this way too late but the actor wanted 200 pounds for travel costs which was way beyond what would have been reasonable and some 10 times what the most expensive of the other actors had requested. This actor tried to then extort the filmmaker by smearing him on social media. Now this is at least partly the filmmaker's fault because they should have been on it and details of the travel fees arrangement should have been included in the release agreement that the actor signed or possibly even in a separate agreement the end result was a messy situation for all concerned so check your agreements and to also check the distance which the actor or crew member has got to travel first as you engage them and this sort of thing can be avoided talking from experience and to other producers that have had a similar uh, situation arise and verified the problem my advice would always be to cap the expenses for individuals as some will always take the piss <laughs> Let me just say here that 999 actors out of 1,000 will bend over backwards to make things work for the filmmaker. But three times I've seen something happen on really big budget productions where actors' contracts are maybe nearing an end or where the actor and the production company have got some set-to hump happening, some sort of disagreement was happened, and the actor is not happy. I have seen actors claim they are unavailable or a change of dates now, now just let me make this clear how this works an actor would say get booked for six days on a three-week tv shoot or film shoot and they'll have shot five days of it and then it comes to the sixth day and something's happened to annoy them now when the production company's schedule changes and this happens all the time most actors will say i'll make it work and they'll cancel their stuff to make it work unless they're moving on to another production in three instances, I've seen people say they're moving on to another production and they're no longer available unless they are paid an awful lot more money, but actually they're telling lies. They've not got another production to, to go to. So two of the instances that I'm talking about, the actors concerned had no other job to go to, and I know that as a fact. They were, in effect, just scamming the producers for more money. And in both occasions, the companies had no choice but to pay them. However, these actors' reputations, as a result, took a massive dive and certainly in scotland uh, and in the uk where i work word travels fast in this game but a third time that i know of this happening and i was actually acting in the production at the time the actor concerned that tried to pull one over on them was written out of the series that day and replaced with another actor they tried to pull this i'm going to call it a scam but what they didn't realize is that another actor that had played their assistant within the story basically got handed the remaining scenes and it just happened to work out and that actor by the way was kept on for years and he had a great reputation brilliant actor easy to work with great performances all worked out for him the other chap i'm sure he went on to other things but i didn't work with him again that's just a little parable there with lessons for both the actors and filmmakers that are listening to this show now one big scam that Targets actors specifically, and I think um, more specifically, extras is that of paying to be part of what I would call a half legit agency. In my opinion, and I do have friends that run agencies and I don't know what their fee structure is, etc., but I think they're legit. (laughs) But if an agency genuinely is legit, in my opinion, they don't need you to pay them to be a member. And whilst you are at it, check the percentage that they plan to take from you. There's some extras agencies out there that take 25% off of the clients that they represent. And I just think that's too much. And I would strongly advise you to avoid those agencies. You can do better. There are other options. And I won't say anything more about this here, but I will link to an article by actinginlondon.co.uk about common showbiz scams which will give you lots of good advice on this topic so please go to the show notes to read that one on a final note though to my acting friends please let me also add that you should never be alone with one other person when auditioning or filming i sometimes have to interview for fight gigs um, a whole load of people that might be required for a crowd scene or whatever. And if I'm on my own in that day and working as an independent, I always pay for a female to come and assist me. This is just the right thing to do. If you're getting in a situation like that and you're on your own, you're dicing with some danger there, so be aware. Also be very wary if you're additioning in isolated locations like a warehouse or an industrial park. And you should never audition at someone's house or apartment. And low-budget filmmakers, if you're listening, I know you don't have a budget, but hire a room someplace for your auditions. It's the right thing to do. It makes all more professional and it doesn't cost a lot of money. Lastly, obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, avoid nudity in auditions. It's a clear sign that you're dealing with a potential crazy person. Just say no. Unless, of course, this is your 10th edition, organised by your agent for a long-running Netflix series and it's all been pre-agreed, then maybe you can consider it. There is no doubt that the internet brims with spamming, scamming and identity fraud. Having somebody wipe your hard drive or bank account has never been easier, and the tools for committing electronic mischief on your enemies are cheap and widely accessible. Eugene Morozov, unquote. My next warning is to watch out for and beware of fake accounts on social media. It's well worth reviewing your followers' profiles as they come in with social media, and certainly before you just automatically follow them back. If they are suspicious looking, then block them. And suspicious to me would be pictures of big busted ladies or men in uniform or even believable pictures of people who neither share nor post nor like anything at all. And you can just check briefly at the profiles to see this stuff. These robot profiles, these bots, will typically follow hundreds of people but only have a few followers themselves. They might be new accounts but not always. More sophisticated scammers actually have historical accounts accounts that have been sitting there for two or three years and can at a very brief glance appear real and the reason that you want to dodge these is that once they are friends with you they can send you direct messages and these can lead you unawares to phishing sites or worse these are sites that seek to steal your financial information or your login codes etc and i received a message today in fact from someone that had got through my scammer net (laughs) on twitter they were called steve and they had the hashtags scriptwriter and filmmaker on their profile profile and they did look legit but they messaged me to say please copy paste this link for your security and then there was a link which was to a hidden account so that was a disguised link again they can make a link appear as one thing but when you click it it takes you somewhere else but needless to say i did not click it and neither should you These are straight scams aimed at us, people who work in the creative industries, so you must avoid them. And there's similar scams out there which involve catfishing. There's an article titled Global Scam Ravaging Hollywood. Silver-Tongued Imposter Poses as Top Female Producers. Catfish victims. I never wrote that title, by the way. I think they need to work on their advertising copy. But this was an elaborate global scam uh, being perpetuated on below the line Hollywood professionals, some of whom lost sums as high as $150,000. The victims find themselves seduced by the promise of a dream career job, offered most often in a call from a knowledgeable and very convincing woman claiming to be a powerful female producer financier. This woman is an imposter, however. She drops casual reference to professionals that the victim knows, and that's people who would make a recommendation in a business that is relationship-based. The imposter who always calls and receives calls on a cell phone Sets the hook by offering these men their dream jobs for large sums of money. She gets them to sign non disclosure agreements, though, which dissuades potential victims from going back to their friends to see if, in fact, a recommendation was actually made or from calling the actual offices of the female film producer financier. This is a similar controlling of information you might recognize to that which I faced earlier. I can't cover the full scam here it would need an episode all of its own but it involved a shady wire transferred that take days to clear and the victims having to pay out from their own finances in the interim and there are variations to this scam but the playbook is remarkably consistent this article says in that it begins with a call from a wealthy female producer who over a series of calls builds a personal relationship but sets the hook with irresistible bait A dream job that could be a major stepping stone in a career. The scam is made more believable by the use of name dropping and has a lot of very intelligent people fooled. So if you want to know more about it, then go to the show notes for the full article. Basically, though, if a call comes out of the blue involving a dream job from a person purporting to be a high net worth individual, it is likely to be a scam. The best course of action would be to call the offices of this so-called power player, and chances are it won't be the first time the producer has been called with bogus claims, and they will be able to verify that it is in fact a scam in the making. Well as you can tell as this goes on this is quite a big episode we're nearing the end of it now but I've been working on it for quite a while and I've just received while I'm working on it a text from a fake HSBC account asking me to click a link this is a text alert on my phone just like I was saying earlier never click links on emails or on phone texts or social media unless you know the sender and even then even when you know the sender, only if you have read and understood what it is you're actually clicking. All too often, my friend's accounts are being hijacked, one in particular, and you need to be aware of this. If you do click these links, you are in for a world of pain. Who is going to believe a con artist? Everyone, if she is good. Andy Griffith, unquote. Recently, fake tax alerts were being sent to people working in the film industry in the UK with wording specifically targeting them. These were texts sent to people's phones, but they were all fake. And they later escalated, if you interacted with them, to automated phone scams, saying that you had missed a deadline for your tax and you were going to get into trouble if you didn't pay up now. Never, ever trust this sort of message. Got it? Gillian, when she was on last week, told me about another online scam just before we started recording the episode. Although perhaps not specific to creatives, I have certainly seen similar scams do this. She was working with a company and they were raising money for charity. They became aware, however, that someone else had built a fake account and was diverting money to a fake GoFundMe page using the original images and promotional materials that Jillian had put together. You must verify everything you can as it is a virtual nightmare out there at the moment. Remember too that when a scammer gets your financial details that they have you by the proverbials. Julian Kosky talked a few episodes ago about a password protection app that's well worth a look so go back and check that one out. He also has a real interest in online security and his podcast, Productivity Matters, has a number of episodes which cover this problem. And with that, I'm going to end part one of this two-part scams episode. If you want to hear the rest, where I will discuss hijackers, liars, plagiarism, predatory sales agents, shady film festivals, and the bankrupt reboot scam, then part two is available Right now, I just didn't want to roll out an outrageously long episode on this topic. So, in part two, I will also lay out some ground rules that will help you to avoid scams as they come your way. I'll end today, though, with the words of Ben Stein, who said, Hollywood is largely about scammers and con men. It was my main livelihood for about 25 years, and the scams were beautiful and ugly cheap and expensive. But wow, there were a lot of scammers. Now take control of your own destiny. Keep on shooting and join me for part two of Scams, Lies and Double Dealing on Film Pro Productivity and Success. The music that you can hear right now is Adventures by Ehemitsu. You can view the show notes for this episode on the official website filmproproductivity.com. You can follow my personal account on Twitter and Instagram at fight underscore director or follow the show on Twitter at filmproprodpod or on Facebook at filmproproductivity. Please support the show by subscribing, spreading the word and leaving an awesome review.